Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. We cover the world of soccer and we talk about it. So that works. We are live. We're on the air. It is ready. To, uh, it is go time. I was going to say we're ready to go, but it's also go time. And uh, yeah, lots to cover today. Ross Dunbar, our friend who covers German football, will join us. Uh, in the next segment, go over some of the news out of Germany, including the, the word that Pep Guardiola is going to clear things up for us come next week. We're going to get word of what Pep's plans might be. It seems as though every time Pep Guardiola's contract comes up, the world hangs on his decision. Will he end up in the Premier League? I guess ultimately that's the question everybody wants to know. And clearly, a club with big aspirations like Manchester City seems like a natural landing place for a guy like Pep Guardiola. We will check with Ross to see if we have any hints of what Pep's plans might be, or in, in, in the meantime, certainly what he's trying to accomplish with Bayern Munich. And we'll check on the state of the Bundesliga as well, because lots of things happening over there. Uh, Bayern won yesterday, by the way. We'll talk Champions League matchups and everything else. Speaking of international soccer, we weren't, but I'm going to make it like that, uh, like we were. U.S. soccer has announced that the U.S. men's national team will start 2016 with friendlies against Iceland and Canada. This will come out of the January camp, both games set for the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Iceland on January 31st, Canada on February 5th. Now, obviously, Iceland getting ready for the Euros next year. Iceland uh, having qualified for that tournament, the first major tournament they've qualified a very small island nation doing big things in the world of football. Uh, a lot to be uh, a lot to be jealous of when it comes to Iceland. And uh, you know uh, we're, we probably won't see Aaron Johansson play in that game, but uh, there's that that connection between the United States and Iceland, and the fact that Aaron Johansson, uh, born here, raised there, could have played for Iceland, chose the United States. Uh, goes. It just reminds me going back to the very first year of Soccer Morning. That was the first year of Soccer Morning, was it not, Trevor? When we had the president of the Iceland FA on this program, because he was a little angry that uh, Aaron Johansson decided to play for the United States or had the ability to play for the United States. I'm not even sure what that what his problem was. He was kind of a an angry dude. Reports out of London say that Chelsea, uh, that the Chelsea board is discussing the future of Jose Mourinho as the team's manager. Rumors that Juan de Ramos could be in line to replace Jose should he go. Uh, there will be a vote, or there has been a vote. I'm not really sure about the timing of this. But ultimately, regardless of what the vote is, the decision comes down to uh, to Roman Abramovich. He is ultimately going to decide whether or not Jose Mourinho will go. Chelsea, again, losing um, on Monday to Leicester City. The The Premier League season has been a disaster for the, for the Blues. They are, they are in the Champions League, and they have PSG now uh, in, the, uh, in the round of 16. So there's still some hope on that front. But they're in 16th place in the Barclays Premier League. They have 15 points from 16 matches. It could not possibly be worse for a big club like Chelsea. Fox 26 in Houston has reported that the deal to sell the majority stake in the Houston Dynamo to Mexican businessman Gabriel Brenner is done. Brenner also requires, acquires the controlling interest in the Houston Dash of the NWSL and the remaining 27 years on the BBVA Compass Stadium lease uh, that stadium, of course, a 30-year lease, 27 years left on it. Oscar De La Hoya, who had a 25% stake in the team, re- retains that stake. Of course, 
the boxing legend involved there as well. Here's a quote from Gabrielle Brenner. I've been involved as a very proud minority owner for the last eight years and I've always had a great admiration for Mr. Anschutz and the whole organization of AEG. But we feel the time has come for us to take the reins over here and give the team a little bit more of a family personality ownership than the corporate image that we had before. We're very excited about it. Very happy to be able to do to be now at the helm of the team. So we will see what happens with the Houston Dynamo. This has long been a complaint of Dynamo fans that within the AEG hierarchy, because of course AEG also owns the LA Galaxy, the Dynamo have always been second choice. They've always gotten the scraps. They haven't gotten the attention of the, of the Anschutz uh, organization. And now they have their own completely new, completely separate majority owner. And the era of multi-club ownership in, ML- in Major League Soccer is officially done. Uh, we had the Clark Hunt, uh, sorry, the Hunt Sports Group, uh, headed by Clark Hunt, teams in Columbus and FC Dallas. Columbus has been sold. One team for the Hunt Sports Group, one team for AEG. Houston Dynamo being uh, shifted to Gabriel Brenner. Uh, good news there. Brazilian striker Fred has been banned for one year by Comable after testing positive for a masking agent at last year's Copa America. The ban applies only to South American competition, which is why Fred is not prevented from playing for his club, Shakhtar Donetsk. This is obviously bad news uh, for Brazil, who's had some problems there at that striker position. They have Hulk. They have Fred. He's uh, he, he was the leading scorer in the Brazilian league um, a couple of years back. Obviously, one of their options, he does have, I think, six, he does have six caps. It's not a lot, but most of that comes uh, from that a Copa America tournament in Chile last year. And tonight, Abby Wambach will wrap up her legendary career as the U.S. Women's National Team takes on China at the Superdome in New Orleans. Wambach will retire as the greatest international goal scorer of all time. 184 goals in 254 matches for the United States Women's National Team heading into tonight. We'll see if she can add to that total. She's out there doing some press. She's obviously going to have a role to play in the future of American soccer, and she made some waves by going on Bill Simmons' uh, podcast. What's that called? The BS Podcast. And saying that uh, if there was one, when asked if there was uh, one thing that she, she would change to make the U.S. Men's National Team better, she said she would fire Jurgen Klinsmann. So, no, uh, no holding back from you, from Abby Wambach. We'll hope that continues, uh, regardless of whether or not she's a part of the U.S. Women's National Team on the field or not. All right. Here we go. Stepping aside, coming back, Ross Dunbar to talk some German football. Yeah. You want to talk about Pep. We all want to talk about Pep. Let's talk about Pep. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Soccer morning, worldsoccertalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Let's uh, let's talk to Ross Dunbar. Covers German football for for various outlets, including Fox Sports. Uh, hi, Ross. How are you? Yeah, very well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, time of the year over here in the states. We uh, our season is over, but that doesn't mean that the intrigue stops. It certainly doesn't mean 
that there aren't things to uh, to talk about in Europe. Um, the we we're going to come to the Champions League. We'll certainly come to the state of the Bundesliga right now. But I think the big news in, in Germany is that Pep Guardiola is giving us. Uh, is this almost like is this almost like the the trailer for the uh, for the main event? This, he's he's announcing he's going to announce something. Yes, yes. So um, after the match last night against Darmstadt in the German Cup, he said that next week he would announce uh, whether um, he would stay or go. Um, from what we can gather, I think discussions have already been happening for some time with Guardiola and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. Um, whenever his agent is ever quoted in the media, he always says, well, you know, Pep's his own guy. He'll make his own decision whenever he wants. So um, it's very interesting to see what happens. And obviously today we've had reports from Marca, Spanish newspaper that said that Guardiola will leave and he's already said that he will leave so that's very interesting and Carlo Ancelotti is the man who's being touted as his replacement. Well, so so we are we sure that this 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 stent is over for him. I mean I I guess I I guess I'm I, maybe I'm not surprised but now he's just going to become this interim manager who takes his bag of tricks and 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 flits around Europe but taking on whatever challenge uh, presents itself is that is that who Pep Guardiola is? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I'm not really sure how, who benefits the announcement happening now. I mean, I know that Bayern Munich will want to have a contingency plan in place, but that, I'm sure that can happen internally. But I mean, I don't see how it's a benefit to, Bayern, to, to Pep Guardiola when the pressure's on him to win the Champions League. I mean, if Bayern Munich go crashing out of the last 16, then that's a stick that you can be beat with, you know, or you, you said you were going to leave, maybe maybe your heart's not really in it anymore. I, mean, I think that's that's my concern anyway for him. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the City rumour has always been there. It's always been kind of in the background. We've always heard that uh, Guardiola still keeps in contact with uh, Soriano, the chief executive of the City Football Group, and Cherry Bergstein as well, the technical director, um, who worked with the Barcelona. So, I mean, I think this, this, this move is always on the cards. But I think it's a disappointment that, um, we're having to hear this midway through the season and, you know, he's being forced into telling us now when he's still got potentially his biggest six months at Bayern Munich. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's obviously been brought here to win the Champions League and, you know, this is the, kind of the, probably the best team that he's had. It's the, probably the closest he's had to having his perfect side and, and it's a bit of a disappointment that this is a bit of a sideshow almost. Well, so so I mean, if I missed it, I apologize. I'm I'm obviously trying to keep up with some other stuff. What's uh What's the reason for the for the announcement to come now rather than waiting until the end of the season or or putting it off? I mean, I'm sure he's asked constantly, but he's not the type of guy that I think would crumble under the pressure of of making the announcement now. Why doesn't he just wait? Well, I think I think I think Guardiola would would like to wait until March or April. Um, I mean, I, I would imagine that Bayern Munich wants to have a decision ASAP on on. You know who their who their manager is going to be next season. Um, uh, there's also um, suggestions that Guardiola thinks that there's a, there's a disconnect between his philosophy and the club's ethos. That was the line reported in Marca this morning, which I think we have to take probably with a pinch of salt because sure. Marca obviously is a, a pro Real Madrid newspaper. So it would surprise me if there's there's a little bit of uh, ruffling the feathers there going on. But um, yeah, I mean it, it's interesting to see what happens. I mean I think Ancelotti is an interesting suggestion. What what would kind of um, alert me right away is that he doesn't speak German, and in Germany it's a very big thing that you have to speak German to be the manager of a football club. You look at a lot of uh, the big clubs in Germany, they're not managed by foreigners, so 
Um, I, I wonder how he'll adapt to that, and I wonder how he'll, he'll adapt domestically because Ancelotti's record domestically isn't as good as it is in the Champions League, of course. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the, the re- replacing Pep Guardiola is going to be very difficult for anybody, and especially at a club like Bayern Munich with all the politics involved. Um, you know, Pep came in and and learned German, right? So what's to prevent uh, another manager from doing that? The only problem, of course, is that you know, Bayern Munich then, uh, once again, if, especially if they go for Ancelotti, Ross, steps right back into that revolving door of, of the five or six elite managers in the world, and, and that is not necessarily, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess for Bayern Munich, it's, a, it's the only situation that can work these days. You're not going to give the reins to somebody who's going to be around to run a project for five or six years. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, when you look at a lot of the top clubs, they're all managed by guys who have managed three or four different elite clubs, Rafa Benitez, uh, Ancelotti, Van Hal, etc. You know, I think, I mean, I, I'm interested to see what the thought process behind behind Ancelotti is because Matthias Sam, the sporting director, who's obviously the guy who calls the shots, um, was a very, very big admirer of this 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 style of football that Guardiola had at, at Barcelona. And you look at the kind of development of German football, I think that has kind of correlated with that. You know, they've tried to take what Spain did in the the late noughties and turn it into their own style. I don't know where Ancelotti fits into that. Ancelotti, to me, doesn't really have a strict philosophy. He seems to be more of a man-manager. I suppose when you've got a great team like Bayern Munich have right now and the score of players, I suppose you can afford to do that. But, I mean, I, I think it does shout to me as being a very short-term decision like Van Gaal was uh, in 2010. Well, as you said, uh, the, you know, the goal is to win the, the Champions League. I'll come to, we'll come to that draw here in a moment. I, I do want to check on the, on the league, the wider league itself. I mean, Bayern Munich expected to walk away with an, another Bundesliga title, especially considering uh, the drop in form that Dortmund's had over the last couple of seasons, and 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 really, you know, there's a there's a hump that that some of these uh, other big bigger clubs in Germany have yet to get over. And yet, you look at the standings, and and it's not. I mean, you know, Bayern Munich said they've they've dropped a total of what four points all year. Um, uh, or maybe five points all year, but they but they still only have a five point lead over over Borussia Dortmund at this point. Uh, how comfortable can they feel in the league? As again, they they wait to to start the the round of sixteen in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, I think people people have this impression that Bayern Munich um, are having a bit of a cakewalk at the moment. But I, I mean, five points it's not a massive gap. And you know, we see in a lot of leagues in Europe, you know, all it takes is one or two games. And obviously, Dortmund have to play Bayern at home in the next six months. Um, and you know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't write it off that Bayern would drop points at some point. The, the thing is. I I think I think I think Bayern are quite reliant on players like Douglas Costa, Arjen Robin, Thiago, the real kind of one v one type players. And we've saw in the last few games that without them, they're not as incisive, they're not as consistent as they ha- as they usually are. I mean, they, they obviously lost uh, I mentioned Gladbach. They played against Ingolstadt on Saturday, and they really struggled. I mean, they, they really could have lost that game. It was it was um, it was one or two 0 and and Manuel Neuer had two or three excellent saves. Um, and obviously they won one 0 against Darmstadt last night, so they're kind of limping towards the winter break. Um, but I, I mean, I think there is the impression that Bayern Munich, okay, they've got the biggest resources, so they are expected to win. But I think the longer that Borussia Dortmund are nip and tuck with them, then there's a chance that they might they might throw it away towards the end of the season. Mm. And, and, and but there's no there's no reason to believe it's it's going to be more than than Bayern and Dortmund down, you know, if at all, if any, if there's any race at all, it's going to be those two two sides. I mean, you know, uh, hurt us too far back at this point, and then it gets uh, it only gets worse from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Dortmund's uh, league record this season, I think it's been quite underrated. I think I think they've been really consistent, and 
Um, okay, they dropped points against Darmstadt and Hanover, uh, sorry, uh, Hoffenheim, um, but if they were in the Premier League, if they were in Serie A, or if they were in La Liga, they would probably be top of the league. And I think that's one thing, that's one line that Dortmund have kept pushing through the media is that, you know, if we were in any other league other without Bayern Munich, we would be the number one, the number one team. So I think that's very interesting. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think it is interesting. I mean, I think if it had gone to maybe nine or ten points, I think it probably would have been over. But now it's five. Mm-hmm. I think you have to say with 17 games to go, there is a title race. And that, I think that keeps it at least interesting for a while. Um, so we know, uh, we know the, the, the Premier League, uh, the most visible league in the world is coming up on the, the festive period, Ross, with all those games jammed into, to one little short time frame. Meanwhile, Germany's getting ready to go on their winter break because they just do things differently there. When does the, when does the, the break run this year? And what impact does, you know, does this break have on, on the particular, on this particular race in the Bundesliga? Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it probably has a benefit for Bayern Munich because, uh, like I said, I mean, they have a pretty long list of injuries at the moment. Um, so the, 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 the winter break will go from next weekend until the 22nd of January, um, which is quite a lengthy winter break, actually, when you think about it. I mean, it's almost what's pretty much a month, yeah. a month-long winter break. Um, so, I mean, that will be great for Guardiola because he can bring back Arjen Robin, Douglas Costa, Bernat, Alaba, you know, all these guys who are struggling with injuries. Um, so it's it's ideal for them for Dortmund. I mean, I think I, I think it might have benefits for them as well because I, I get the feeling that there are still some areas of Thomas Tuchel's system information that aren't quite working yet. You know, defensively they're still very open, um, and, I, and I think that'll be something they they want to rectify going into January. But I mean, what what's really interesting about January and February is that you have a couple of really really big games. Bayern Munich have to go to Leverkusen, for example. Borussia Dortmund have to go to Munchen Gladbach. I mean, there are some huge games that could alter the title race already before we start thinking about Champions League. All right, so uh, the winter break coming up. Is there is there any sense at all that, uh, that there'll be some player movement? Um, you know, some some either some uh, some purchasing on the part of some teams looking to strengthen and maybe make a run at either a Champions League spot or uh, certainly staying up uh, in the Bundesliga this year, or or sales out out of the Champions League names that have been bandied about as potentially leaving their sides. Not a huge amount so far. I, I don't. I don't imagine that Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund will make a lot of um, tra- moves in the transfer market in January. I think one of the suggestions was that Nevin Subotic perhaps would go to Liverpool to re- reunite with Jurgen Klopp. That might that might be a potential storyline to keep an eye on. Uh, apart from that, I think Munchen Gladbach have said they want to maybe strengthen the team. I, I wonder um, how much the the last few games have have impacted on that. Obviously, they lost five 0 at Bayer Leverkusen on Saturday. They they lost in the German Cup last night, so maybe they want to try and strengthen no. um, their side. Um, the other one that comes to mind is Stefan Kiesling. Stefan Kiesling, um, of course, is a pretty experienced Bundesliga striker. He's got 138 Bundesliga goals, um, so he's level with Mario Gomez in the all-time scorers charts. He came back into the team uh, on Saturday against München Gladbach. He scored two, and he partnered really, really well with Chicharito, and... Um, the suggestions, perhaps, that he might leave. I would imagine that it would be another, to another Bundesliga club. I don't think he'll be going outside of Germany. So that's that's pretty much all the main transfer um, talk at the moment. All right. Let's, uh, you you mentioned uh, Chicharito there. Let's 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 talk about uh, Leverkusen and Chicharito Hernandez. Um, obviously, they uh, they they don't advance in the Champions League. A bit of disappointment there. But his form right now is. Um, 
is off the charts. I, I imagine, you know, th- there's, it's very easy for the snark to, 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 to bubble up on Twitter. And there's a lot of talk about how many goals Tutorito has scored for Leverkusen versus what the, uh, the forwards and strikers have done for Manchester United, of course, his former club. Uh, but just give me a sense, sense of, of why it's working for Chicharito. He's, he's, he's an incredible poacher, but what is it about Leverkusen in Germany that, that's, uh, that's agreeing with him? I think, I think the main thing with Leverkusen is that they create a lot of chances. I mean, they, they play a style of football that is very gung-ho. It's all-out attacking. And obviously, as we've seen with Leverkusen in Europe, it's, it's had its deficiencies. You know, they've been caught out in the counter-attack. But when you've got uh, Karim Bellarabi on the right-hand side, you've got Hakim Chalanoglu behind you, and you've got guys like Kevin Campbell in midfield, you're going to create a lot of chances. And I think when it comes to even like the expected goals metric, I think Leverkusen is one of the highest teams in the Bundesliga. And, um, you know, there's a chance that Chicharito is getting, you know, it's like cutbacks into the penalty box. It's, you know, from six or seven yards out. So, I mean, that's, that's exactly what Chicharito is looking for. And I think, um, you know, you look at how consistent his scoring has been. It's not just the fact that he scored something like 16 goals in his last 13 games. It's just how consistent he's been, you know, scoring in the Bundesliga, scoring in the Champions League. He, um, he's obviously getting a great amount of service at the moment and he's not having to, the thing is he's not having to, you know, do a lot of the donkey work, which um, I think Louis van Gaal would have probably demanded of him. Um, I mean, I saw a great quote from Hernandez in the last few days that van Gaal had told him that he had 1% chance of being in the team. So that's why he left. But I mean, I think, I think Leverkusen is a great, it's a great breeding ground for him because he'll get form, he'll play in Europe and um, obviously he'll be playing in the Bundesliga against really solid defensive teams and I'm sure. I'm sure Mexican, the Mexican national team will be loving that. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 want to see Chicharito Hernandez in good form, with good confidence. If if he's playing regularly and he's getting those chances, he's going to put them away. And you know, watching the Mexican national team as I want to do uh, around these parts, Ross, th- they suffer when they don't have a player like Chicharito Hernandez who can be counted on to put those chances away. And he he went through some some really bad times where he miss he was missing easy chances. And you have to one you know you have to assume that's just because of lack of consistent playing time. He certainly needs that, and it's working out for him there by Leverkusen. Okay, so we, we talked about Chicharito Hernandez. We'll flip over to uh, the, the best American player uh, at the moment, and certainly the best American player in Germany, and that's Fabian Johnson at Mönchengladbach. You talked about whether or not they would want to strengthen. Um, they've had this really weird run of results. They beat Bayern Munich 3-1, to one, um, and you know certainly some you know, back and forth as to whether or not they, uh, they, they, you know, didn't control that entire game. Certainly Bayern Munich didn't put away their chances in the first half and that aided them. But they beat Bayern, Bayern Munich 3-1, Fabian Johnson, uh, playing well in that game. But then they lose to City. They lose, they get crushed by Leverkusen. They get, they lose in the, in the, uh, uh, in the German Cup to Werder Bremen. Um, just give me a sense of where Gladbach is right now. And then obviously Fabian Johnson, his contributions. Well, I mean, I, I think the you know the transformation in that club over the last six or seven weeks is really incredible. I mean, Andre Schubert, you know, he went ten league games unbeaten. He he really kind of has re-energized this football club, and and you know they're now they're back competing for the Champions League. I mean, I, th- I think Saturday's result against Bayer Leverkusen, uh, they lost five 0 and it was their first league defeat under Schubert. I mean, I, I kind of get I get I kind of get the impression that you have to just take that with a pinch of salt. I mean, I think although Leverkusen were outstanding. And they created a lot of chances. I think Gladbach just had a really bad day at the office. And I think when you have the kind of luck that they've had maybe against Bayern Munich, for example, you kind of expect that sort of thing to happen. I think they'll be disappointed to go out to the German Cup because I think they would, have, they would have seen that as being an opportunity to win some silverware. And, and obviously, when you only have two or three trophies, silverware is very hard to come by. So yeah. I think they'll be really disappointed to go out to Werder Bremen last night. That will be the one that I think really sticks 
sticks in their throat a little bit. And with Fabian Johnson, uh, he obviously missed the, the last the last two games with injury, yeah. but um, his form has been exceptional. I mean, he's really, uh, I think he's really um, thrived under Andre Schubert. You know, I think before we we knew him as being just a kind of speedy, kind of wide player, but I think he's added a little bit more to his game. He's a little bit more confident in the ball. He's he's actually being involved in in combination play, especially against Bayern Munich, for example. He, he was he was excellent both on the left hand side and on the right hand side. Um, they tried, they played a four, a three four three formation against Bayern Munich, and Fabian Johnson had to surrender his left his left wing position. He almost played like an inside forward, which was certainly certainly I haven't seen him play in that role before, but yeah. I thought he did really really well. Um, and obviously in the game against Hoffenheim, for example, he he popped up with two goals, and it obviously shows that he's he's beginning to have a little bit more kind of self confidence in these sort of situations. Yeah, I mean I think that's um, you know a question for for U.S. men's national team observers uh, is what's his best position? How is Schubert using him to great effect? Because some of the question with the national team, of course, is whether or not Jurgen Klinsmann is going to deploy him as a as a right back, which is a, a position of need for the United States, but not necessarily Johnson's best position um, on the field. You get more out of him. I, I certainly, I, I think you get more out of him if you're playing him um, higher up the field. But where higher up the field, and certainly what system is he most effective? I mean, I think I think he probably is most effective on the left hand side. I mean, I, I would find it really odd that given how well he's doing in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League, that Jurgen Klinsmann would put him back at right fullback. I would find that really a really strange decision. I mean, certainly on the left, what he gives you, I think, is on the counter-attack, he's really quick. I think his final ball has really improved. I think he chases back and helps. So, for example, I mentioned Gladbach, you have Oscar Wendt at left-back, and the two of them can interchange quite a lot. You know, Wendt is a very attack-minded fullback, and Johnson can tuck in and, and, and allow him to bomb forward. So, tactically, he's a very good player. I spoke to someone in the mix zone after the Bayern Munich game uh, at Borussia Park and, and the German journalist described him as a system player. Now, again, this is probably just trying to take a German phrase and put it into English, but it's quite an interesting description, a, a system player. Maybe Johnson's biggest weakness is the fact that he's so versatile, you know, because you know he's not getting that run of games in an area where he is so strong. But, I mean, I, asked him, I thought with the performance against... Um, Juventus in the Champions League, for example, the performance against Sevilla and the performances against Bayern Munich. I think he looks like a sort of player who should be played in an attacking position. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't. I, I, would, I would imagine that the US national team doesn't have a lot of options for attacking positions when you've got a guy like this playing so well in one of Europe's top leagues. You know. It's, yeah, no, certainly not. I mean, and again, it's a, it's a matter of whether or not Klinsman wants to be proactive and, and give Fabian Johnson the run to be higher up the field to influence the game that way, or if you, if he wants to be, um, conservative push, because there is a question of, of obviously, uh, defensive strength for the U.S. men's national team, particularly at those fullback positions, Ross, but that's a different discussion, perhaps <laughs> for, for a different day. Let's, let's talk about the Champions League again. Um, Leverkusen out, uh, imagine that's a, a bit of a disappointment. Just before we get to Bayern Munich and their chances and the, and the individual uh, draw, what is the you know what is the reaction to going to the Europa League for a club like Leverkusen? Yeah, I mean, I can imagine there was a, a sense of disappointment. I was at the game against Barcelona and they completely dominated that game. They had six or seven uh, amazing chances in and around the penalty box, but they just seemed to panic. And uh, you know, you almost got the impression with about 15, 20 minutes to go that this just wasn't going to happen for Bayern Leverkusen. Um, I mean, they, they, they've performed well in the Champions League, but I mean, there are still massive question marks over the, how, how good they actually are. And I get the feeling that if they'd gone into the last 16, they would have probably got smashed by somebody anyway. So I think probably going into the Europa League is a good thing. However, 
you know, Sporting Lisbon is not a great draw for them. I don't think, you know, I don't think a lot of the German teams have had good draws in the Europa League. So I think Leverkusen will be disappointed. Uh, you also, uh, so we have, uh, obviously Bayern Munich draw, drawing Juventus. We'll come to that here in a second. But I think that, you know, it's interesting. Ghent out of Belgium makes it into the, the last 16 of the Champions League, which is obviously a, a massive deal for them. Then they draw Wolfsburg. And this is no slight against Wolfsburg, but if you're, if you're Ghent, you have to be, you have to be excited that you're not getting a Real Madrid or Barcelona. I mean, that's a great game to have. It's a showcase game. But if you have any chance at all at the quarterfinals, grabbing somebody like Wolfsburg. And so from Wolfsburg's perspective, they also have to be very happy. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought one of the great things was that, you know, during the draw on TV, they panned to the directors of, of Wolfsburg and the sporting director, and they were probably one of the only groups of, of representatives who were actually looked very happy. I mean, Carl Salos before the draw had said that, um, well, he had, and he had almost kind of hinted that Ghent was the kind of draw they were looking for. He said that there were draws that would be favourable to them, and he obviously was delighted, and I can understand why. I mean, for Wolfsburg, I mean, that to, to me anyway, I mean, without wanting to, to talk uh, Ghent down at all, I mean, I think that's a, that's a passage for Wolfsburg into the into the quarterfinals, so they must be delighted with that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how they would have fared against one of the better teams, but again, that's the advantage of finishing first in your group is that you get um, maybe a little bit easier draws in the in, in the second in the, in the second knockout phase. Yeah, certainly, and and uh, Wolfsburg winning that group—that's uh, not something you necessarily would have picked ahead of ahead of the group stage. I mean, whether or not Manchester United is their old selves, you don't expect them to finish third, and and PSV su- surprised. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, well, the one thing about Wolfsburg was that the, there was a sense of uncertainty about them this season after uh, losing Kevin De Bruyne, and I mean, I still don't think they're as good without him, but. They are a very different German team to Bayern Munich and Leverkusen and Gladbach because they're very possession-based. I mean, what uh, Dieter Hecking has done, he's brought in Julian Draxler from Schalke. Uh, he's got a guy from, from Gladbach, Max Kruse, of course. And they're very, very good at keeping the ball. And I think that's something that will benefit them in the Champions League. And I said this with the group stages. I thought that they would do well in the group stages because they are a very possession-based team. And I think that's very hard to come by nowadays, um, certainly in German football. All right, so but we come to Bayern Munich, and they draw the defending finalist Juventus. And uh, obviously, Juve started poorly in Syria. They've they've kind of gotten their legs. They're certainly um, you know not a club that you can look past by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, from a from a Bayern Munich perspective, this draw, Ross, and then obviously their fortunes or their possibilities of going and winning this title, especially with all of this Pep Guardiola speculation hanging over their heads, and then by the time we get to the groups or to the knockout rounds, they'll have known that there'll be some conclusion as to whether Pep is leaving, and then I think that provides more pressure if he is leaving for them to finish this thing out with the Champions League title. Yeah, definitely. Then obviously when we talked about it earlier, that's why I said I think I think you know announcing this six months earlier before you've got to play Champions League matches, I think is, is, is quite interesting because it could be used to, you know, hit them, you know, if, they, if things don't go according to plan. I mean, I would think that Bayern Munich should get through this draw. I mean, they played Juventus, uh, I think two years ago in the last 16 and they came through quite comfortably. So, I mean, I would, I would, I would, I would put my money on Bayern Munich. I mean, I think they are, they are relieved that they didn't get Paris Saint-Germain. I think that would have been the big test mm-hmm. if they had got PSG. So, I mean, Juventus is a great is a great club and they've got some great players, but I I would imagine that Bayern Munich would go through. And obviously, if he didn't if he didn't go through, I think it'd be a bit of a disaster for Bayern to go out of the last last sixteen stage. Well, and th- look, I mean, obviously, Juve changed a lot from last year's team. I mean, Pirlo's gone. Uh, the, the, the 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 numerous teams, numerous players who who's just are out of my head at the moment are gone. Uh, Pogba's still there, but they still but they have. 
Uh, they have changed a, a lot, and they've certainly changed experience-wise. So Bayern Munich, with a, with a wealth of Champions League experience, I would expect to have a major advantage there. I got one more question for you, Ross, before I let you go. Uh, our friend Robert in L.A. wants to know what your thoughts are on, on the German teams, what they do during the winter break. Or what's the general feeling about German teams and their approach to the winter break? Because I know some of them do take uh, tours, uh, go, go abroad, and, and, and whether or not that's... Uh, is that is that beneficial for them? And I I don't know if any are coming here to the U.S., but it seems that Robert's intimating that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that Leverkusen are, are one of the clubs going to Florida. I think. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, maybe maybe I'm missing something there, but I'm pretty sure that Leverkusen are playing a few South American teams in Florida this this year. I don't, know if, I, don't know if, I don't know if you know anything about that or not. I think they I think you're right. I think there's uh I think they may be part of uh some Orlando City's part of so, Orlando City's part of something and I think Leverkusen may be involved in that. I'm not uh I I don't pay it to Here we go. Yeah, Corinthians, Fluminense, Bayer Leverkusen and Cologne. Uh oh, cool. no no wait, no that's yeah. last year. That's last year. My fault. Oh. <laughs> but 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 they may be involved again this year. So I'm just I'm just trying to do a little bit of uh a little research here but it's going to be Yeah, okay. So so it's um it's coming up. It's coming in January. It seems that Leverkusen is definitely involved. Okay. Uh, so, Borussia Dortmund will be going to Qatar um, uh, to, to have a winter training camp. Bayern Munich again are going to the Middle East. And again, this is this is like a, another topic of interest. You know, if you if you're interested in sports politics, is that Bayern Munich, of course, last year went to Saudi Arabia and played uh, a friendly in Saudi Arabia. When obviously, I mean, I'm not putting on money expert in, the, in these sort of situations, but I think. There were instances of human rights violations, etc., etc., and I think that's still happening. And yet, Bayern Munich are going to play in the Gulf again. So that's a very interesting thing to keep an eye on. They're only there for five or six days uh, in the Middle East before they're back in Germany. Um, there was some deliberation as to whether they would go to the Middle East or not, and, and obviously they're going there for for a week's training camp. I mean, I think I, I think it's a very I think it's a very important thing for them going into the Champions League because. Um, certainly with Guardiola and Tuchel, they're very hands-on coaches, and when they can get three or four weeks to work with the players, I think it will be a massive benefit to the team going forward. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see again how Germany's results in Europe, in both the Champions League and the Europa League, compare with the English results, because obviously there are a lot of big teams in the Europa League, Manchester United, Liverpool, Tottenham. It'll be interesting to see how they fare without a winter break. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking at this. is the Florida Cup 2016. they got a very fancy website. Corinthians, Fluminense, uh, Atletico Mineiro, uh, Mineiro uh, International, so a bunch of, of Brazilian sides, and then Leverkusen, Schalke, uh, those are the two German sides taking part, and then there's uh, some some other teams, including uh, Santa Fe of Colombia and Shakhtar Donetsk. So if you're interested in some German soccer, maybe you could go down to Florida and catch this uh, this winter tournament. Uh, Ross Dunbar joining us on Soccer Morning. Follow him on Twitter at Ross Dunbar. 93, uh, covering German football and doing a fantastic job. Uh, Ross, appreciate the time. Good chat. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cheers, guys. Have a good Christmas. Have a good New Year. There you goes, uh, Ross. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, happy holidays, Ross, and have a good New Year and all of that good stuff as the Germans go to hibernation, sort of, and then they play tournaments. Soccer morning. We'll come back. We'll take your phone calls. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. I'll read the book you like. I'll read stupid phone.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go. Soccer Morning. Phone lines open at 646-832-3909. If you don't call, then I'm forced to talk to myself for the next, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes or so. And nobody wants that. Everybody wants to have a good discussion here on Soccer Morning. We've got a lot to discuss. We just got done talking about German football. We've got Abby Wambach's last game tonight. Abby Wambach is retiring after 184 goals in 254 matches. She has been a legend for a long time, and now she is finally wrapping up her career. She's going out as part of the Women's National Team Tour. They're in New Orleans tonight. They're playing in the Superdome. That means turf again, but hey, whatever. They're playing China. And hopefully while Abby gets a good run out, maybe she gets even gets a goal. Make that a nice 185. Go ahead and tack on one more, Abby. I mean, the, the place, I don't know who, how many tickets they sold, but the place would go nuts. The place would go nuts. And certainly, whatever you think of Abby Wambach, whatever you think of her influence on the national team, <clears throat> she's been extremely important to the United States for a long time. So, thanks, Abby. Hashtag, thanks, Abby. Let's continue to, to roll that out. Give me your favorite Abby Wambach moment. I mean, I think mine is probably scoring against Brazil in the uh, 2011 World Cup in Germany. When did that goal happen? I mean, it was it was insanely late. I think they were into... Oh, I was so, so late. Fantastic stuff. That, that call from here... Let me see if I can do this on the fly. Let me see if I can find this on the fly because this is uh one of the in addition to the 2010 goal against Algeria and the and the call from Ian Dark there we got we got the next year we got an Ian Dark call on Abby Wambach scoring late against Brazil uh and 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 just adding again adding to the lore of of Abby Wambach in that game 122nd minute 122nd minute she scored that goal so we've got hold on, we'll just delete the, or uh, bring this back. So the United States is down two to one. I mean, just just let's memories here, memories of Abby Wambach. The United States is down two to one in the hundred and twenty second minute. Looks like they're going out of the tournament. Looks like it's not happening for the United States in two thousand eleven. Now we know they ultimately didn't win the World Cup that year, but they made a good run at it, and they were some. They, you know, it would have been a disappointment to to crash out. To Brazil at that stage of the tournament, certainly. Here we go. Let's listen. Seconds. Now, USA have it. And they've just got to get everybody forward now. No sense defending anymore. Lloyd's got to get this pass off to Rapino. And everybody's got a bomb forward now. Rapino gets a crossing. It's towards Wilder. Yeah, I got goosebumps. I mean, I got goosebumps. It's in dark, but it's that moment. It's the crowd. It's Abby Wambach rising majestically at the back post. And that's the indelible image of, of Abby Wambach. And again, there's some, there's some controversy around Abby Wambach. There's some controversy around how she put herself out there, how she certainly was an influence behind the scenes with the women's national team. And, and look, Bo Durr, who's been following and covering women's soccer for a long time, t- talking about, uh, Homari Sawa. From Japan, quietly retired today as well. Quietly, different culture, different situation. We're going to celebrate Abby. We're going to have a thanks 
Abby hashtag rolling. We're going to have memories of Abby. It's obviously been the Abby tour since she announced that she was retiring after that White House visit. And again, the timing of the, of the announcement even got people a little riled up. Even, even Abby Wambeck saying, I'm going to retire after that moment when the U.S. women's national team was visiting the White House in recognition of their World Cup title, even that became controversial because that's who Abby Wambeck is. And you know what? Again, some things that, some things she did, some things she, she put out there, certainly her defense of, of the, uh, Magic Jack FC, uh, B- Boris, what's his name? Boris, uh, I, I want to forget that guy's name. But the owner of Magic Jack FC, the late owner of Magic Jack FC, her continued defense of him, of that team, of the, uh, of the situation there, a guy who, you know, made a lot of enemies, but at the same time was very good to his national team stars. She can, she, she would create a controversy there. She created controversy in how she handled the turf situation. She created controversy. I mean, it, it goes back a long time. But it's, it's clearly, I mean, th- th- there's absolutely no question at all that she's one of the greatest women's soccer players of all time. Probably one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the game, period, men, women, whoever. Christine Sinclair, 30 goals back of Abby Wambach. Robert in L.A. asking if I think Sinclair will catch Abby Wambach. I mean, I, I don't know how long Christine Sinclair's got left. I don't know what her, what her plan is. I mean, she could keep going. With the number of games Canada's going to play. She's 32. Eh, she's got a chance at it. She's got a chance at, at the record. 158 goals right now for Christine Sinclair. At least that's what Wikipedia says. If I'm wrong on that, we'll, we'll check. Also, uh, right now, and, and by the way, taking phone calls, 646-832-3909. We'll get to that in a moment. I'm going to put this out there. Uh, there is a story over at the New York Times, as written by Sam Borden and James Montague, two of my favorite soccer people, by the way, two great soccer writers. Sam Borden's been on top of the FIFA corruption scandal. He was there in the hotel when the original raid happened. Happened, And James Montague is just a fantastic writer, uh, the guy who did 31-0, has been around the world uh, documenting the minnows of, of soccer for a very long time. They've got a, st- a joint story out. There's a new website that's popped up, a mysterious website that's popped up called Football Leaks uh, that is putting out some pretty incredible financial information behind the scenes. Uh, we'll get to Luke in Seattle on the phones here in a second, but let me just read the lead here from this story at the New York Times. The press officer for FC20, a professional soccer club in the Netherlands, received a phone call one morning last month while driving to work. A colleague had just seen a strange post on Twitter. This was no ordinary social media crisis for a sports team. Rather, Twente, based in Inchede, and I'm probably butchering that, but there you go, had become the largest target of a group that had suddenly disrupted professional soccer around the world with tactics that are reminiscent of WikiLeaks. The group has published private documents related to soccer clubs in Portugal, England, Spain, France, Luxembourg, and Monaco, among others. In the case of 20, the website known as Football Leaks had published documents showing financial agreements between the team and an agency with a variety of soccer interests, including a controversial player investment business. The documents, which were never meant to be released publicly, appeared to portray a relationship that was at best unsavory and at worst in violation of national and international soccer regulations. This is bombshell stuff, people. Luke in Seattle, you're on the air. Hey, uh, I was calling up about uh, Timbers. 
All right. Yeah. Um, they're the champions. Say, I feel like they're, yeah, congrats <laughs> to them. Sincerely, congrats to them. Uh, that being said, though, there's one team that, that won the MLS Cup, spent so much time thinking about any other team in the league. I don't remember the Galaxy trying to uh, go like uh, F New York or yeah, uh, our, grass, our grass is better than New York's grass. Or, <laughs> um, um, uh, let's see. What, what was Merritt Paulson doing with uh, Boehm yesterday? Something about uh, the uh, team up north is the one that's all overaged and uh, is out of TAM money and everything else. And, I, I don't look. I mean, I'm going to be 100 sincere. I'm actually flattered that they think about us that much because if we end up winning the MLS Cup, and we will, I'm not going to think about it at all. Okay, like, fair. Whatsoever. Fair. Okay. Um, it's a unique situation. I mean, yeah, you could make the argument that Portland constantly referencing Seattle after they win an MLS Cup just goes to show you that they have an inferiority complex when it comes to Seattle. I'm not from Portland. I'm not a Timbers fan. I'm not going to speak for them. You can, it does appear that way on some level, but at the same time, there's not. I, I, I don't. I'm not going to begrudge a rival for wanting to take a dig at an at a rival, and, and whether or not Seattle fans or the Seattle team or the Sounders organization would take shots at Portland should they win an MLS Cup. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. I. Maybe not. I mean. Maybe. Maybe they do have a, a nose in the air. We're not. We're better than that attitude about it. I. I, I don't know. I actually think it makes the league more interesting. So I have no problem with it from that perspective, Luke. But yeah, yeah, the Timbers probably could could stand to stop talking about Seattle a little bit. Oh, I, don't know. I just feel like uh, even some of the burns that they're trying to do are like really cheap, lazy, <laughs> and like oh. Okay. Well, they have Whatever. they have the trophy. The, the bird. I mean, come on, Luke. The, the, the burn. Congratulations. <laughs> the burn is look at my trophy. Do you want to touch my trophy? No, you can't touch my trophy. It's my trophy. Look at my trophy. That's the burn, Luke. Fair enough. All right. Well, so, look, I mean, uh, here's the thing. And now I'm going to This is circular and meta, and I apologize. But the fact that you're calling up Soccer Morning to talk about the Timbers talking about the Sounders kind of shows that the Sounder fans are thinking about the the Timbers fans talking about the Sounders, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, and ran around the cul-de-sac we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was saying, if nothing else, I look forward to kicking their ass again next there year. There you go. So, Love it. Love know. it. Uh, but before you go, Luke, since this did happen yesterday, I didn't report it in the news, but um, not not because it's not important, but because it just didn't make the cut. Marco Papa being traded to the to the Rapids. Any thoughts on that? I am sincerely bummed about it, but uh, I feel like this off season for the Sounders has been just weird in general. Um, it was unfortunate the way we got knocked out of the playoffs. Um, if we could have defended three more minutes, who knows what would have happened. Ratings would have been massive with the Sounders versus the Timbers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, been fun. But then we ended up having the season ticket holders meeting at Joe Ross. That stuff he said about Marco Papa's country. And yeah, you kind of had to ship him out. out then, huh? I mean, it, that, that's the thing. Like, you can't. How do you hold on to Marco Papa when you got Joe Ross saying things about Guatemalans that are just not cool? I mean, just not. I had cool. one. Of my, I was sitting next to one of my friends that uh, when he ended up saying that, and I looked at him and I'm like, "Well, Marco Papa's probably gone now." I mean, what do you do now? Call him up and go, please, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Like, immediately after the fact, yeah. he has no idea what's going well, on. you got to explain it to him. And it's just, 
It's also true that that Joe has taken a more of a backseat role with the organization as well. I mean, he's I'm sure he's got some some skin in the game still, but it seems as though Adrian Hanauer's taken over more of the. I mean, he was always going to lead the club, but he's I, maybe the the, the, the I shares. Say, I shipped. don't feel like a whole lot has changed though. I feel like um, it's mostly just paperwork. Yeah, um, I would say Adrian was already driving the ship uh, to begin with. Uh, Joe Roth was more the person that was casting vision and. If Clint Dempsey became available, he's like, go get him. Money's not an uh, issue. Yeah. And uh, so you had stuff like that. But mm. now um, I would say it was all fun and hunky-dory the first six years. And I feel like uh, for various reasons this offseason, the first year, that there's sort of a tension between mm. ownership and fans. and um, We'd really like him to go out and get a championship and everything else. And uh, you got Carl Lagerway going, well, you know, we're probably going to not – uh, we're probably not going to make any transactions this offseason. Uh, oh, great, we got cam money. Well, actually, we don't really have cam money. All of it's already spent. Right. So, yeah. You know. So, That's not good. Uh, I, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the, the I Timbers the Timbers will be in contention. They're certainly going to be in the playoff mix. I have no doubt about uh, the Timbers. The Sounders, excuse me, Luke. That's. That's just because they won the championship. I apologize. <laughs> the Sounders will be will be there among the best in the West. I have no doubt about it. Luke, I got to run. You got anything else? Uh, no. That's Appreciate it. it man. All right, there you go. Yeah, don't Sounders fans quit worrying about Timbers fans talking about the Sounders, and Timbers fans stop start stop talking about the Sounders and enjoy your championship. Let's just you know again separate you guys. You go to this room. You go, Bill. You're in New York. You're on the air. How's it going, Jason? Once again, your call has got me going off in a different direction. <laughs> they uh, Then talking about the Seattle-Portland thing reminded me of years ago when the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl and they had a parade, and during their parade celebration, they started chanting, Yankees suck. Yeah, that's the, that's, know, that, the, that's that Boston thing. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a sort of... Hanging on to uh, casual Red Sox fans these days used to be way more into it, Bill. But I and I, I never, yeah, I know it's always about the damn Yankees. I know, <laughs> and that's what it is. Seems like with Seattle and Portland. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, I was calling about like with some transfer moves going on, and I was just thinking about how the Red Bulls really haven't done anything now. But people have mentioned in the past about changing our schedule and how that would help with transferring of players. Yeah, I don't get that. Well, why, why is that? Why would it help? Okay, well, think about what happened with NYCFC or any of these teams. Steven Gerrard coming over in the middle of the season. These guys were, uh, you know, they come off a long European season. Then they get a couple of weeks or, or a month off, and then they have to start playing again. And their transfers come in the middle of the MLS season. So now the team has to adjust to the sudden arrival of Andrea Pirlo and Frank Lampard, in L.A.'s case, Steven Gerrard, and uh, it's a couple other players. I mean, you, adding players during the year is, is a part of the process. And even in Europe, you have the January window, you can do that. But to have it be such large players, uh, such fundamentally transformative players, makes a difference. So, And then if you flip it around, Bill, it's also about the opportunity for MLS players to be sold abroad. Teams are looking for help in the off season, not in January necessarily. They don't want to go out and spend a bunch, bunch of money. There's premium. There's a premium for for buying a player in January that you don't have to pay in the summer. So it would help young American players who might have European interest get their shot because teams are more likely to buy them in the summer than to buy them 
in the winter, and then the MLS player isn't in the middle of his season and doesn't have to make a decision about leaving his club. The club doesn't have to make a decision about getting rid of a player who's crucial to a playoff run. That, that's why. But I almost, there's two windows, you know, and one's in the beginning and one's in the middle. Yeah, but, there, know, but, just, but again... Whichever be, way you're looking at it, whether you're looking at it from an English point of view or whether an American point of view, one's in the middle of the season and one's at the, okay, the start of the season. But because there's only one... Well, the one. Scandinavian leagues, some South American leagues. Because there are so few few leagues that operate on the MLS-style schedule and, and, and most of the moves are being made by clubs that operate on the other European-style schedule, it just means that it's more difficult to get deals done. Because, again, some the MLS players in the middle of their season come January, uh, or sorry, come uh, come summertime. Um, the, but uh, while the European players are in the middle of their season come the MLS offseason. So if MLS teams want to go out and sign a European player, well, now we have to account for the fact that they're in the middle of their season over there. And now... You know, are we going to try to get them out early? Or are they going to wait until the summer to join us? How does that impact our salary budget? I mean, it just makes it more complicated. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying MLS should change, Bill. I'm just saying it makes it more complicated. Because I'm almost thinking, too, that like the January window, I, I would think our players, if they're playing up to level this season before, that's like a good time for an English team to pick up one of our players. They have a push for their final six months, and now they have a player coming in from MLS was fresh. Well, maybe he's ready to go. He's- yeah, maybe, but but at the same time, you it, you know, players have rhythms, and if you take a, an MLS player who goes into their off season come November or December and is sh- sort of shutting it down, maybe they do they're keeping up a baseline of, of fitness, but they're shutting it down. They're not touching a ball nearly as much. And then you bring them in in January. Yeah, they might have fresh legs, but they're also going to have a poor first touch or their their reading of the game is going to be slower because they haven't gotten back into the the full swing of things. I mean. They're, they're, uh, it, some players may be able to do it, but that's exactly what we're seeing with these name players coming over in the summer, Bill. Uh, a guy like Andrea Pirlo, a guy like Frank Lampard, comes in in the middle of the summer after they've shut it down for a while, and they're asked to, to turn it back on and perform in a physical fast league, and they're having trouble. And, and the reason they're having trouble, not just because they're 36 years old, but because they haven't, they're, they're out of rhythm. Yeah, I see, to me, I always see that as, these guys come over here. They don't take this league serious. I don't think that's you what know, it is. I think they come over. I, I, I don't. Think, and I, I know it's not for all the players. But I think a lot of the players, when they first get here, they think that they're going to come here and they're going to walk. Well, sure, leagues, sure, but it's and but, then they that, realize. But Bill, that's compounded by the fact that they are in their off. They tra- tradition. They're in the middle of what is traditionally their off season, unless they're playing for their national team. And even then, it's a different kind of schedule. I mean. I, I, I'm just saying, like you, you take a guy like Lampard or Pirlo, who are in their mid to late thirties. You're, you're not only are you asking them to to turn the engines back on at, in a time of the year where they they typically are turned off, but you're also asking them to adjust to the league. I don't think it's. I think maybe a part of it is they're not taking it seriously, but a part of it is it that they're just not used to having to do that in the middle of the summer. Yeah, and I, I just bring it up because I always hear people telling us about changing our schedule and it just it makes no sense to me and like i i should have talked to trevor about this because i know he's the one oh yeah he's big on this yeah he's he's sending me all kinds of messages right now bill he's making all kinds of arguments for the switch right now (laughs) i know and i i I don't get it because first of all our off season is so short now that's barely even an off season anymore you know so you really you barely have any time off so it's only two months that it's an off season and to say to take those two months and make those two months now, July and August, 
the best months to be in the United States, the best weather, the best of everything, the best time to go watch soccer, and to take those two months away now and say, those are our off-season. To me, I think the rest of the world has got to get on board with us. <laughs> All right, Bill. I mean, in England, you're, pl- right. you're playing in awful weather in the middle of the winter. Why are you not playing in the summertime when it's beautiful in England? It, it makes no sense to me. Well, I mean, and you I know, the, 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 the sports just uh, they establish their season through tradition. I mean, we play we the NFL and, and and American football plays through the 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 fall and the winter because that's just when we did it. I mean, it, when it started, it wasn't ever. I don't think it was ever a conscious decision. They could play. I mean, it would suck to have to wear the pads now. But back when that game started, nobody was wearing that much padding, and they were still playing in the winter. They chose that. They chose to play in the winter. It, you know, again, this. I don't think that you can use logic necessarily. I mean, I think that that. An MLS HQ decision might be based on logic. Yeah, we can't give up our summer months when the kids are out of school. There's uh, families available, uh, and you know the the weather is relatively nice versus the winter time when we don't have any of those advantages. I'm sure that's what's happening now. But in terms of what, why Europe plays the schedule they do, history. I mean, history. That's just what it is. And that, that's what kills me about Europe is that how they can't tweak anything. You can't tweak soccer. It's perfect. You can't tweak it at all. And it's one of the things I love about American sports is that we're always tweaking our sports. Every yeah. baseball. How could yeah. they touch baseball? But we're always tweaking it. We're tweaking football. We're tweaking everything here. And I think England has to start to think, maybe we we can change a little bit. It doesn't have, it's not the most perfect sport in the world. There are things we can change. And I think one of these might be the schedule. Yeah. All right, Bill. Appreciate the call, man. It's interesting. It, look, it's a, it's a it's an interesting discussion, regardless of what side you're on. There are lots of pros for switching. There are a lot of cons for switching. It's it is what it is. Eddie in Brooklyn. What's up, man? Hey, what's up? Hey, why is everybody saying that Chelsea's in in a, in a crisis? Because they have 15 points. Yeah, no, but they're only like six points out of a playoff spot. I'm pretty sure they could make a both points and then make a deep run in the playoffs, win the championship, and then everybody will clearly say they were the best team all season, right? I walked myself right into that. <laughs> all right, Eddie, you made your point. Go ahead. Uh, all right, no, so I was uh, I was having kind of a drunken conversation with a couple of buddies of mine trying to figure out, like, who who's the best player in CONCACAF? Because I remember we talked about this before the World Cup. And maybe I was drunk then, and I kind of hope not because it was 9 in the morning, but I mistakenly said Michael Bradley, which there's no way in hell that could ever be the answer now. Well, not now, and but these things change, right? No. Yeah, but even back then, I was probably... Like, whatever, really man. I, whatever, I whatever. You just want um, you don't want to give any love to the to the Americans. I understand how it is. Well, I mean, he's also has completely outperformed him in the World Cup. It doesn't need to handle that. Um, no, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out now... Who is the best player in the region? And I don't, we, we didn't come on, we kind of came to a consensus, but it doesn't count. Because I think the answer is Kayla Navas, but the goalkeepers don't count. Well, I mean, they, they do, they should count, but we never do, right? And, and, and typically, I mean, I'm, th- you, as you're asking the question, I'm thinking, okay, where am I going to go with this? And your brain automatically goes to the forward part of the field, right? I mean, guys who score goals, guys who create chances, those guys get the headlines, those guys get named best player. Although I think no, but, maybe maybe we do have a a situation now in, in Concacaf where the best players are deeper lying in the midfield, probably. Yeah, because I know Chicharito would immediately come up if you go kind of go by that criteria, which is why I wouldn't use that criteria because it's not it's really not just the goal thing, it's just putting the ball in the back of the net, and that's all you do. I get it, games are about goals, but 
maybe because I'm a coach and I kind of view the game differently. There's a lot that goes leading up to that goal yeah, to sure. get that player in that position. Mm-hmm. And when I think of like just the entire field from the goalkeeper on, I, j- I can't really think of a legit answer. Like I heard Hector Herrera was, you know, was one of the names that was on out there. Um, somebody made a case on this Guardado, but it's like we couldn't really come to a general consensus. So I don't know if maybe yeah. you had it or no. I mean, I was, maybe serious fan show. If you could throw it out, like who is the best player in the region? I, well, I think I think that you've got um, you know you've, you the, the 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 conversation and there not being a, a consensus is the evidence that that the region right now is kind of not suffering, but we don't have. Clearly, we don't have one guy who's clearly playing above everybody else, and that makes it difficult. Um, Hector Herrera is, is a good player. Is he is he on that level right now that he's the best player? And I mean, I haven't seen it with Mexico, but he's obviously playing well with Porto. I mean, that's. I mean, how do you balance that stuff out too? You got to consider. Well, are they are they you know are they playing well with their national team? Yes, no, maybe. Are they playing well with the club side? Yes, no, maybe. These are different circumstances, and and you take a player, and you know this, Eddie. You take a player and put him in a difficult circumstance, or out of position, or in a system that doesn't necessarily work for his skill set, and suddenly the the player who looked great for one team looks pedestrian and mediocre for another team. So I think that's probably where we're at right now. Is as these national teams go through transitional periods. It's difficult to identify the best player in the region because we want to consider both sides of that, right? The be- the club side and the cl- and the international side. Agreed. I mean, I, before the World Cup, I also said that eventually I thought it would be Joel Campbell. Yeah. All he ever really needed was a chance. Uh, I think he's finally getting that chance, and I think he's finally showing people that he is an Arsenal-type player. I, I never understood that this this notion that he wasn't good enough to play for Arsenal. Like, Arsenal had standards all of a sudden. Like, they've won two FA Cups in the last decade, no league titles. They're around a 16 exit on a year-in and year-out basis. I don't understand how they necessarily have a level. Um, but I think now that you see him getting his opportunities and he's making the most of them, that he, he'll eventually, I still think, I still believe he'll eventually get to where I thought he would be. Mm-hmm. I think I think Joel Campbell is starting to work his way into that discussion. Again, Hector Herrera, Raul Jimenez, um, uh, I don't know if I put Guardado. I mean, Guardado, Guardado is very good, and it's very important to Mexico. But are you going to put him on that level at the at the at the exact at this moment? I mean, PSV did he, he did some good things, but he's also capable of doing. I don't know. I guess he's in that mix too. So Campbell, those three Mexicans. There's not an American in the discussion right now. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, I, I don't know. You're not going to go. You're probably not ranging outside of those three big teams. I don't think anybody else has a player. Uh, of that quality, whether it's Honduras or, or Panama or uh, uh, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, nobody like that. No, they got nice players, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like like I like a Kenwin Jones from Trinidad and Tobago. Sure. Yeah, he's always just yeah. a fun player to analyze. One note player, uh, Kamal right? Lawrence from Jamaica is, yeah. is you know another fun player to to always analyze. I mean, that's why I think I think the answer, to be honest, and this is not even complete bias, it, it's, it has to be Kevin Ballas. But again, it's a goalkeeper and. I kind of feel like that's a dirty answer. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, obviously, Kaylor Navas is a is a great goalkeeper. Otherwise, he wouldn't be where he is. But then that, for me, that opens up a question of how much weight are we giving to who he plays for versus, you know, I mean, you know, it's it, it's impossible. What I'm saying is, it's impossible to uh, analyze a player in a vacuum because that doesn't there's an impo- like Keller Navas benefits from playing for who he plays for because they're going to dominate 90% of the competition right but that doesn't mean he's not a great player well, yeah well I mean you 
you you could say that, but then when he was with Levante, he won La Liga. Yeah, no, I, of course, of, of course, and, and we consider that, and we, we we absolutely have to fold that in. But I mean, again, I mean, it's it, I'm not saying that Caleb Ramos isn't deserving of the title. I'm saying that you know if a guy ends up like you know whether or not he did anything, Chicharito Hernandez is at Real Madrid. We're talking about well, he must be one of the best players in Concacaf. He's at Real Madrid. But that doesn't. I mean, I don't know. He he wasn't playing. It's a different. It's a different. It's definitely yeah, a different. Yeah, yeah. All right. You got anything else for me, Eddie? It's a good discussion, man. No, that's that's pretty much it. You know, I still think, like I said, Chelsea are in a crisis. I think the playoffs will bail them out. So you know, everybody can calm down. <laughs> okay, you go back to the joke. It kind of ruins. I mean, it was so good off the top, but I feel like. Maybe you got that. You're beating the dead horse a little bit. Eddie in Brooklyn, thanks for the call. Eddie in Brooklyn, not a fan of playoffs. If you couldn't tell from that statement, a guy who uh, who wants to identify uh, a champion through 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 the regular season, through a performance over the course of thirty, thirty four, thirty eight games. Yeah, I get it. I get it, Eddie. I do. All right, that's a good place to wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Thank you very much to Ross Dunbar again. Go follow him on Twitter. Excuse me, at Dross Dunbar 93. I'm sure he'll be happy to engage you in any discussions about German football or football in general that you might like to have. You can also go uh, follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Make sure you get Sirius XM so you can check out the show every day from 11 to 1 over there. Uh, happy holidays. Uh, buy some stuff. I don't know. See you later. Bye. What I put my heart on.